HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Tayama, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen in Sakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. My guest today is Nori Nakamura, who is the owner and winemaker at Donoria, a unique winery in California. When we eat Japanese food, we almost automatically think to pair it with Japanese sake or Japanese beer. Uh, on the other hand, Japanese sake has become so popular globally that you can find it at the Michelin-starred non-Japanese restaurants outside of Japan these days. Nori decided to break the preconception and now is making beautiful wine that pairs perfectly with Japanese food. So today we'll discuss how Nori, who used to be in the high-end hotel industry in Japan, became a winemaker, his winemaking philosophy, what types of wine go well with Japanese food, the future of Japanese food and wine pairings, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanese is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, which you to, and subscribe to Japanese. Um, and please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Nori Nakamura. Hello, Nori. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. So um, so to get to know you, first of all, where are you from and what did you eat when you grew up? Yes, um, I was originally from Tokyo, Japan. And actually, I'm Edoko. Uh, my, uh, I, I'm three generations all living in, in Tokyo. And I was lucky because my parents were foodies. So uh, pretty much every weekend, uh, they took us to like somewhere, like basically we ate out. So it's many uh, different kinds of food, like Italian food, Chinese food, um, of course, Japanese food. Uh, that's um, how I grew up eating. Mm, right. 
Interesting. The word Edoko, Edoko is, you know, the Edo period, and uh, it's like 17th to 19th century of Tokyo. And uh, there are like, usually people say New Yorkers are very similar to Edoko because there's a quick and uh, looking for something new and uh, kind of easy to fight on. <laughs> kind of, uh, That's very... right. <laughs> so, but you don't seem to be very... Uh, quick and fighting oriented. <laughs> so, no, 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 I'm okay. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm a kind of uh, metal, metal person. Nobody, right. yes. Yeah, but you know the Tokyo Edoko is very uh, open-minded and always looking for something innovative. And uh, I really think it's a very cool thing. And Yeah, I think we like something new, yes. Right, sure. okay. So, and then, um, so from Tokyo, you moved to the States. So when and why did you move to the U.S.? Yeah, that was back in 1999, uh, the January, I still remember January 8th, uh, because um, I used to work for um, the hotel co- management company. Uh, it's called JAL Hotels uh, uh, under the Japan airline. And uh, so I, when I graduated from college in Japan, um, I started working for that company and I moved around within Japan. And then 1999, uh, my company told me that, hey, Nori, there's a, a position open in San Francisco. Uh, there's a... Um, hotel called Hotel Nico San Francisco um, near downtown. So basically I was sent by company to come to United States. Mm. So it was nothing to do with wine. <laughs> Yet. Right. <laughs> Yet. Right. So, but then how did you get into wine and winemaking? Yeah. Um, so the wine was, um, that was more like uh, when I was um, younger. Um, so my uncle used to own Italian restaurant in the middle of Tokyo. So my father's side of the family, uh, when we got together, pretty much every time we went to that, uh, the restaurant. So uh, to me, I was, so when I was like five years old, you know, seven years old. So when I was that young and uh, to me, the restaurant was really, because uh, everybody's having a good time, good conversation, good food. And uh, there was always wine there too. So to me, uh, the restaurant is really kind of special, fun space and fun time. So I really wanted to get into that. Um, so when I graduated from college, I was thinking about, you know, what, what to do, what, what would be my career. And um, many of my friends were um, trying to look for a job in the big corporations, uh, finance, uh, trading company, but I was not interested in. Um, I was very interested in something more like uh, the restaurant. But uh, to find a restaurant to work for in, in, in Tokyo is, is almost, because there are so many choices, right? So many restaurants there. So I, I couldn't figure out what to do. And then I came up with the idea to work for a hotel because um, many of the, the big Japanese hotels house at least f- uh, five, six restaurants um, within the building. Like Japanese restaurant, Italian restaurant, French restaurant kind of stuff. So I thought by working for a hotel, um, I can work for a restaurant and then I can also uh, study about the wine. So that's why I started working for a hotel. Right. Well, I heard that when you moved to San Francisco, you were catering manager. So you were really yes. in a good position to observe yeah. everything, food and beverage. That's right. Even though I couldn't speak English, but I was assigned as catering manager. Right. So the yes. food is the universal language. So that worked. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, and also so, heard... And then, uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, sorry. Um, because I heard your uh, uncle was a famous opera singer. 
and uh, yeah, he was an opera singer. He had a restaurant, an Italian restaurant. Yeah, so he owned that restaurant for forty years. Um, I mean, he passed away um, already, but uh, so he was Japanese opera singer. So he was always back and forth between Japan and Italy, and he was so um, influenced by, um, of course, the opera, but also uh, food culture and. Uh, the culture of uh, Italy. So he fell in love with uh, Italian food. So he decided to own a Italian restaurant in Japan. Mm. Well, I really think that knowing Italian wines really is an advantage because there's so so much diversity and you really learn not just what you put in your mouth, but the culture behind it, right? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but how did you study winemaking? You obviously you are yes. a winemaker. So. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't go there yet. <laughs> yeah. So I came. I came here right as a uh, the catering manager to work for the hotel, and I was living in San Francisco, and um, so I did have opportunity to come to Napa and Sonoma uh, because it was only like forty five minutes to one hour drive from San Francisco. So I took. I was not really familiar with um, California wine um, back then. It's like 25 years ago because uh, I, I did study uh, about the wine while um, I was working um, in hotels in Japan. Uh, I went to so many school, uh, learned about, uh, did a lot of uh, blind tasting. But I would say like 98% are about French wine. And then that's, I didn't really know anything about the California wine when I moved here. So I, I took my opportunity to come to uh, Napa Sonoma almost every weekend because it was new to me. It was very exciting because I, I feel like I was gaining some, some new, um, you know, I, I started um, getting to know more about the California, which is completely different from uh, like the French wine, Italian wine. So I, I enjoyed it. And then, um, and then I, at the end, I decided, oh, the making wine is something I really want to do. So uh, basically, uh, Napa Sonoma, I mean, my experience living in San Francisco uh, made me decide uh, my, my new career. Mm. Right. So, and then you went to uh, the, the notable um, UC Davies, for well, that's like, a, you know, Harvard. That's right. <laughs> oh, I mean. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting because, so, um, so my when I was working um, at the Hotel Nico San Francisco in San Francisco, uh, my first year uh, I went to almost like 170 wineries uh, in Napa and Sonoma because I really wanted to learn more about the California wine. And normally when I go there as a as regular customer, then um, I go to the tasting room, talk to the people who work in the tasting room, right? But uh, sometimes once in a while I was able to meet winemakers. And I always ask them um, same questions. And my question was, how did you learn winemaking? Because it, it was really, uh, I, I couldn't figure out how they did it. Because um, especially in, uh, in California, uh, you see many uh, like the big wineries, uh, they are corporations, right? So they, um, they hire winemakers as employee. And so I, I didn't know how they got the experience and knowledge of the winemaking. So I always ask the same question to the wine, winemakers. And uh, um, pretty much I would say like 85% of answers were like, oh, I went to UC Davis. And then like, what is UC Davis? I didn't know anything about UC Davis. So I started research and then, oh, wow, there's a school, there's a college that you can 
study about the winemaking. Basically, it's called uh, viticulture and enology. Viticulture is uh, grape growing. Enology is wine fermentation science. So when I saw it, when I when I learned about it, I'm I'm like, oh, this is this is this is um, uh, to get the degree of viticulture and enology will be my uh, entrance to this industry. So I I worked uh, basically uh, st study a, a about it, I have to do a many uh, prerequisite because uh, viticulture knowledge is the BS Bachelor of Science, uh, but my background um, in Japan uh, was uh, BA Bachelor of Art. So um, I had to take uh, some uh, science classes before I I, I move into uh, the program. Wow, mm. oh, that sounds like a lot of studying. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. Right, because uh, the wine really is a science, and the more you know, I think, more you have to learn, and all those, along with everything else, like local um, nature, grapes, and techniques, and marketing to everything. So, I I'm very impressed at how much you came to this point. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was very focused at the time. Yes. Mm. Right, <laughs> and then after you graduated from UC Davis, you uh, worked at a couple notable wineries in the area. So, mm -hmm. so where did you work, and uh, what did you learn at each place? Yeah, I worked uh, several wineries. Um, so even when I was uh, going to UC Davis, I started working. Um, I took the uh, the seasonal job during the harvest. So uh, my first two is Cobes Newland. Cobes Newland doesn't exist anymore, uh, but. Um, in Napa, small winery in Napa, and then I worked at the Pine Ridge as well. Those are as a seller worker, so I was basically at bottom work, uh, moving the one, moving the barrels, uh, cleaning the tanks, those kind of stuff, right? And then uh, my third winery, I worked for Napa Wine Company, which is very traditional, uh, historical, uh, big winery in Napa, uh, but they don't really make their own wine. Uh, this is the called custom crash facility. So a lot of winemakers uh, who don't have um, winemaking facility, they bring in their grapes there and then make their own wine um, using uh, Napa Wine Company's stuff. So I was in the lab there. Uh, so I was able to meet uh, uh, many winemakers, like I would say 50 different winemakers. And I was able to talk to them, uh, learn about their philosophies. And uh, and also I was in the lab. So I was always, um, I had experience to to taste their wine because the, the, all the samples come to, uh, come, come to lab, right? So I was uh, cranking up the numbers, uh, talking about the, uh, like the, um, a pH, acidity, those alcohol, those kind of stuff. But at the end, um, I kind of always I sip the the wine, the sample, uh, to learn more about the wine. And uh, so that was really great uh, experience by working for one winery. But um, the it was very substantial experience for me. Uh, mm. And then I moved to um, moved to different winery because at the time I was uh, working at the Napa Wine Company, but um, so I gained a lot of experience uh, by uh, interfering with those uh, winemakers. But at the end, I felt like I really want to work for one winery so that I can I can put my hundred percent effort to to the wine uh, the wines that that winery uh, make. So I moved on to uh, Artesa Winery in Carneros, and I became I soon became assistant winemaker there. So in two thousand five. Uh, so that was kind of uh, really the beginning of my career as a winemaker. And uh, there I really 
pretty much learn uh, all about the winemaking from grapes to um, how to handle the harvest and organizing um, the group of people, uh, production, uh, the bottling and those kind of stuff. And then after that, uh, I became a, a winemaker at the new winery it's called Jameson Ranch for about two years. And then I moved to Larson Family Winery in Sonoma. And I was there for uh, seven years uh, until December of last year as a winemaker. Mm, wow, you must have been really something right because such a, it's a successful path. And uh, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> I was lucky. Yes. Well, I think you are so hard. That's what I can say. All right. So uh, we'll take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll dive into Nori's home wine that goes perfectly with Japanese food. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Coming this spring, we're working on something big for opening soon. Opening a restaurant can sometimes take months or even years. So I have this one consulting client that's been three months away from opening for the past year. And I had a calendar reminder show up today, and the reminder was that our goal was to open tomorrow. But this spring, you'll be able to hear it in just a few hours. On March 30th, he had passed away. And then on March 31st, he had come back to life. And then on April 2nd, he had passed away again. And I was like, okay, my regards to the family. I don't even know how to receive this information. So tune in as we follow one of Brooklyn's best and brightest young chefs and restaurateurs on their journey from start to open doors. Alex, you need to put more money in. We're out. We can't pay anybody. He is the bra worst. Oh my God, that guy. It's the build. Subscribe to Opening Soon from Heritage Radio Network, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on Heritage Radio Network, HRN. I'm your host, Akikoteyama, and my guest today is Nori Takamura. And uh, he is the owner and winemaker at Noria, a unique winery in, in California. So... Uh, so there are great winemaking regions within the U.S. and uh, in many other con- countries, of course, I mean, including Italy, maybe. But why did you decide to make wine in the U.S. and uh, more specifically in California? Yeah, that's uh, simple because I was in California. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> seriously, I think that's, a, that's a, uh, the simple answer and 100% true. 
Right. Yes. And also, I think it's really like UC Davies to, you know, Napa Wine Company. I was impressed at how much you were able to learn from the lab and you just really kind of, <laughs> you exposed the trade secrets, right? So I think it's uh, the <laughs> best right. point, right? Yeah, yeah, I was lucky too, yes. Mm. Okay, so, um, and you've been making your own wine since 2010, along with you, you work for other wineries. So, and the, the brand name that's called Noria. So what is Noria? What does it mean? Yeah, so uh, the Noria means um, water wheel in Spanish. And uh, the, the first of all, uh, I wanted to name my wine that has my name, uh, which is Nori, as uh, so N-O-R-I. But uh, just Nori sounds not good enough. It's like some seaweed, right? I mean, it's not that seaweed, <laughs> but seaweed is great. But so uh, just I found that just by, by adding A at the end, N-O-R-I-A, Noria means uh, water wheel in Spanish. So, I mean, it's not that I, I know anything about the water wheel, but to me, uh, the image of water wheels are like like the water, uh, the nature, um, like the base energy of the life. Th- those are the elements that I can come up with. And I thought, uh, to me, the, the elements of the wine are very similar to, to it. So I really like the name. Um, so that's why um, I decided to call Noria. But at the same time, uh, my wife's name is Maria. And so um, the originally um, this Noria idea, uh, name of the Noria came from my wife because uh, Nori and Maria is Noria. So um, that's also another reason uh, of, uh, I mean, having this name. Uh, right. Perfect. Yeah, I like the name a lot. Okay, <laughs> so I didn't know that, uh, you know, your wife and husband part of it. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. So, and you... You want to, you aim to produce wine that goes well with Japanese food, which is clearly stated on your website. So mm-hmm. what flavor profile of the wines is ideal for pairing with Japanese food? Yes. So the concept of Noria is clearly to produce California wine that can go well with Japanese food. And to me, uh, the definition, because Japanese food is, is a lot, there's so many wide range of food. It's not just sushi, but there's so many different kinds of food. So to me, the definition of Japanese food, uh, foods are like um, elegant dishes made from uh, seasonal and fresh ingredients. So to me, um, I like to make the wine that can um, have the same uh, wavelengths, and the freshness, vibrancy to the, to the Japanese, uh, Japanese food. Um, so I, I can go, I can break down into more further, but uh, for good example are my white wine. Uh, I make Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay um, under Noria, but those uh, those wines, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay, um, I'm not um, modeling after someone else's uh, Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay, but I'm trying to go after the, the flavor, um, um, the, the flavor of the sake. So the Sauvignon Blanc, I'm modeling after Daiginjo style sake. And for my Chardonnay, I'm modeling after uh, Junmai Ginjo sake. So that's uh, two, two, so that um, I believe that it, it, it can be paired with, well with Japanese food. Mm, right. So for example, your Sauvignon Blanc, um, it's the purpose. There's some sections and a purpose Um yeah, you said it's the Sauvignon Blanc modeled after the style of Japanese sake called Daiginjo. And um, yeah, the personality, it's about the grapefruit, lime, pear, hint of lychee, orange zest, bay leaf, flintstone, a lot of descriptions. And uh, yeah, and it pairs with tempura 
and whitefish mm-hmm. sashimi cured kombu. And it really makes sense, right? So, yeah, that's I'm really impressed at the whole, you know, description of what's here. And uh, people mm-hmm. tend to think California uh, wines people used to be like more big and bold, which I think is that's changing. Right. So It is, yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, so it's impressive that you're kind of creating a new genre of Californian wine. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's it's fun to discover the really uh, the potential of California wine. Uh, I I really believe that um, I think it's um, used to be people make uh, so they used to be the, the wine making in California. It's it's all about the power and uh, you know the ripe fruits, um, a lot of oak uh, kind of stuff. But if you kind of tone down um, those elements, then you, you, when you try to show more the quality of the fruits, it really stands out um, talking about the quality, potential, uh, quality and the potential of the California wine. Mm. So um, that's why I, I really believe that um, California wine has great potential to make wine um, that can be paired with uh, very delicate dishes. Mm. Right. And I, there was, a, I think they kind of suspended efforts, but there's a group of young winemakers who tried to change the perception of big and bold Californian style wines, more subtle, delicate. And I think your efforts are in line with what they've been doing because California mm-hmm. has huge potential to express in diverse, very excellent ways to make wine. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm really curious what you keep making. So, <laughs> Yeah, and the ingredients are the key to the to your wine, of course. And where do you get your grapes from? And uh, what is special about these grapes? Yeah, those are, uh, so because I don't own a vineyard, so I have to basically buy grapes from the growers. Um, so it's, it's uh, of course, um, when you when you kind of picture a winery, um, normally you, you, um, you can picture a, like the chateau kind of like the building there uh, where you, you make wine, where you produce wine, but that chateau or building is surrounded by the vineyard, uh, which is a state vineyard that uh, winery owner also owns, right? But to me, uh, I mean, f- for my case, I don't really own a great uh, own vineyard, so I need to purchase uh, from the different growers. In California, there are a lot of uh, great growers uh, who um, grow grapes, but a lot of people don't don't make wine uh, out of their own grapes. They basically sell the grapes to the uh, the winemakers. So we buy and then uh, bring that to um, a winemaking facility uh, such as Napa Wine Company, and then uh, we can make wine. Uh, so this is um, it's a system called Custom Crash. But because of this uh, system, um, so I get to choose uh, which vineyard. Uh, of course, um, sometimes uh, I cannot even get it because uh, some, some vineyards are so popular. But um, um, the original idea is that 95% of style and the quality of the grapes, uh, wine, uh, come from the vineyard. So once you choose the, the vineyard, uh, pretty much... Um, your wines are already set. Of course, uh, you don't do a good, good job um, in the vineyard and the winery. Of course, your quality, you, you can easily lose the quality, but it's all, there's no magic uh, to change the style and quality of the wine um, from the original vineyard. 
So uh, it's very uh, important, uh, most important thing uh, to make my wine is to maintain a good relationship with the vineyard. And so basically how I chose those, uh, the vineyards um, is, it's also go back, going back to the concept of um, um, the pairing with the Japanese food. So in that concept, in my mind, for example, uh, my Sauvignon brand, um, it's from, uh, it's called Beville Family Beard in a town called Sebastopol. Sebastopol. Uh, this falls into uh, Russian River ABA. But I was specifically looking for Sauvignon Blanc um, in this area, like the Sonoma side. Uh, at that time, I was working at uh, uh, the Altesa Winery in, located in Napa. So I had more opportunity to uh, basically uh, encounter the Sauvignon Blanc grown in Napa. But the Napa is a little bit warmer. So to me, um, Daiginjo style uh, Sauvignon Blanc, if I want to make it, uh, the Napa is, is, is too warm. Uh, the alcohol gets too high. Uh, you, you tend to lose a little bit more acidity. But I, I wanted to make the Sauvignon Blanc that is very crisp and uh, smooth and uh, uh, fruity. So I was looking for uh, the Sono, um, Sauvignon Blanc from um, the Sonoma side, especially uh, Russian River. So it, it, sometimes it takes a couple of years uh, to find um, the, the, the actual grape uh, and the vineyard that I really want. Mm. So that's the, uh, yeah, so, but at the same time, it's very uh, fun, uh, fun process. Uh, you have to be patient, but some, because sometimes it, it, it takes years, but it's fun w once you find it. And then when you make it, and then that is closer to what you really uh, want it. Um, uh, that's very fun process. Mm. So I, I, I went through all the, for my Sauvignon brand. Now I uh, make uh, three Pinot Noirs from diff all different from vineyard, different vineyard, but I went through the same process to mm. look for the particular like Chardonnay, particular Pinot Noir from particular area, because I th that's the, uh, the tasting profile I, I, I wanted to cre create. Mm. Interesting. Well, even within uh, California, and there are many wine regions, and specifically you chose to be uh, sourcing from Sonoma, which is known for very unique and delicate style. And then Russian River Valley, which I think you use grapes from a lot. And uh, there's like a foggy and I was, you know, the temperature is slightly lower. And I was thinking like how Japanese sake is sensitive depending on the region, like Niigata to Kyoto. So it's very terroir driven. And I think your mindset of making wine like sake, I, I found it's very interesting and fascinating. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. So, uh, what is the biggest challenge in making wines for you? Yeah, I think uh, this is uh, the the dealing with the nature. So it's just uh, like a roller coasting uh, you know experience, uh, especially after two thousand seventeen. Uh, there's a big fire, and uh, we lost grapes. And in two thousand, pretty much every year after that. Uh, we have like small fire and then 2020 was really, really, uh, it damaged so many grapes. Uh, for example, like I would say like 85% of Sonoma side of Pinot Noir, we couldn't, we couldn't uh, pick. It's not because that uh, it, all the vineyards uh, did not get uh, affected by fire, but by, uh, by smoke. Uh, so fire happens somewhere else, but the smoke uh, comes with the wind and then it basically ruins the, the grapes. So it 
the vines are healthy and okay, but uh, it, it just directly affects the taste of the, uh, the wine, grapes and wine. So dealing with nature is always uh, just a, a challenging thing for us. Mm. Right. So what about the citrus? I heard it's, it's been raining in California a lot this year. Is, is that the yes. same case with the Sonoma and it's better for... Yeah, yeah. So a lot of wine during the winter is a really welcoming thing. So we're really happy uh, about this this uh, kind of weird winter uh, because uh, a lot of rain happened uh, this year. But it was really good for us um, as the uh, the growers and the, the winemakers in this in this area, you know, industry. Uh, because previous two years um, was uh, very dry and the drought year. So we really worried about uh, fi- another fire this year. So it's not that, you know, this uh, this winter, uh, this rain in this winter uh, fixed everything. No, it's not. We, we still have uh, really, um, we, we have to be really careful. But it was really good, um, good thing that rain happened. Mm. A lot of rain happened here. Yes. Right. That's exciting. So, and you're planning to open your own winery in Berkeley, California very soon. So uh, what's the plan and what is going to be different from your existing operations? Yes. Uh, so this is called Arbon Winery. So it's not that a winery surrounded by the vineyard. Um, so um, because I'm still purchasing the, uh, the grapes from the same growers, so that, that won't change. Uh, but I'm trying to, basically I'm leasing a warehouse uh, in Berkeley and then convert that into the winery. So I'm, I'm gonna put all the uh, equipment uh, crashing so I can, I can crash there, ferment there uh, with a stainless steel tank, and then I'm gonna age the wine in barrels there. And then I have a tasting room uh, to, to show um, my wine and then the retail uh, section as well. So uh, it is a complete winery uh, without the vineyard um, there. Um, it's it's really a great opportunity for me because I've been making Noria wine for 13 years, uh, but using um, renting basically the space uh, from an existing winery and uh, and then using their stuff. So it's really nice and helpful, and uh, it's amazing system. It's called custom press um, system. So um, I was able to you know, I've been making wine um, using the system, but at the same time. Once I have my own winery in Berkeley, uh, basically everybody, everything can be um, under my control and then um, I can gain more flexibility and more, uh, so I can also come up with more experimental products like the small portion of something like the orange wine or something like that. Yeah, so that's very exciting for me. Um, I have more uh, opportunity to to do more uh, different stuff uh, Mm. if I have my own winery, yes. So when do you think it's gonna open? Oh yeah, so <laughs> I, originally I, I set the opening date as April first, but it didn't it didn't happen. Uh, so um, right now I'm I'm looking at sometime in May. I'll say maybe uh, mid May, uh, but I'm still waiting for uh, the finalization of the permit. So it's all depending on. Um, the city of Berkeley, <laughs> mm. how the process goes. Yes. Right. So the twenty twenty three will be your first uh, vintage for your own winery. So yes. that's exciting. Yes. Uh, yeah. So this year I'm gonna produce all my wine um, under my own winery in Berkeley. Yes. 
Mm. Okay, so and then uh, this is a little slightly bigger questions, but sake is becoming very popular globally in recent years, and uh, the sake export in 2022 was a record high, and export value increased by five times from 10 years ago, which is amazing. And uh, people are drinking more expensive sake too. So, and also sake has started to be paired with non-Japanese food because people, mm-hmm. including high-end sommeliers, started to realize that. Non-Japanese food can go well, very well with sake. So, mm-hmm. and if you go to Paris, I think you can find expensive daiginjo, ginjo at the Michelin star restaurants, something like that. So, but people tend to think still that Japanese food is to be enjoyed mostly with sake or Japanese beer. This kind of makes sense. But what do you mm-hmm. think of the opportunity for wine in terms of pairing with non-Japanese food? For wine? For wine? I mean, I like, sorry, like yeah, wine with Japanese food. Oh. A wine with Japanese food. Right. That's what I think you're trying to do, right? Yeah. Um, so, the first of all, the Japanese um, Japanese culture, the food culture, um, has a, the tradition of uh, taking alcohol, um, you know, during, during the meal, right? So, uh, I don't see any uh, difficulty of uh, serving wine with Japanese food. Uh, it's, it's just a... Um, only the matter of how you uh, create or what kind of wine you present uh, with the meal. Uh, like I said, um, the J- Japanese food um, in general, it's, it's, it's a harmony of so many different ingredients. Uh, they don't really uh, make up with a lot of uh, sauces and it's, it's, it's more like the bare naked ingredients, but uh, th- those ingredients in dishes um, have uh, the nice harmony. So to me, uh, if I can present the wine, um, that can um, that can really enhance that harmony. Um, I think uh, it will be really enjoyable. Um, like good good example, I would say is that so um, a lot of people um, drink um, like uh, the big red wine with a steak, right? Because the, the the tannin and acidity of the of the red wine, big red wine. Can cut um, the the fattiness of the of the steak, so you can uh, you can refresh your your mouth palate, and then move on to the second bite. Uh, but my image of pairing uh, the wine, my wine with Japanese food, is opposite. I, I really don't want to cut the uh, the suppleness and the, the harmony of the of the food uh, from the the dishes. Um, I like to take that. And then um, basically uh, move on to the next uh, uh, bite by using my wine as a um, kind of intermediator uh, kind of stuff. So it's a little bit opposite uh, mine uh, compared to traditional wine pairing um, idea. Mm, interesting. I'm just looking at your one of your Pinot Noir Sonoma Coast, and it pairs with skiaki and roasted duck and pork and pasta with tomato sauce. So it's kind of like um, it makes sense that you merge the two instead of contrasting. It's more like complementary style of pairings. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting. And uh, so by the way, where is your wine available? Do you tend to sell more to restaurants or retailers? Yeah, it's uh, it's mainly restaurants, like um, like the Bay Area restaurants. Uh, so if uh, 
listener would like to purchase it, the best way is to go to uh, my website, uh, www.noriawines.com. Uh, you can purchase all of my wines through the website. Mm, right. And then, um, so restaurants are more interested or how, I mean, what's the biggest challenge in selling your wine to... Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. <laughs> making wine, I would say making wine is much easier than selling wine. So, so that's why I, I have like a, uh, so much respect towards, um, you know, marketing and salespeople in this industry because it's, it's, it's so tough because, uh, simply because there's so many competitions. Uh, there's so many uh, label, different labels, um, and uh, with high quality wine. So um, it's so that's why uh, to me uh, when I come up with this this idea, the concept, uh, I, I do care about the niche market. Uh, so that um, and then when I I, I also um, sell self distribute my wine in California. So when I do that, um, I, I go to the restaurant. Um, I targeted uh, like high-end Japanese restaurants uh, first and then go there. Um, sometimes I, I, I bring my wine and um, have lunch, dinner there and then open my wine um, and then um, talk to the, uh, the chef, uh, wine buyers there and then, you know, share the wine and then try to uh, arrange appointment for the tasting. And this is very... Um, uh, time it, it, it time's taking, but uh, it, I, I go through those uh, process to to sell wine. But because of my concepts, I always t tell them that you know my wine uh, should be paired with well with your food. Then um, I have I have more opportunity for them to open up, and then uh, I have more opportunity to basically uh, make appointment, you know, future appointment, and then uh, so they can taste my wine, uh, and then so. At the end, um, it's it's much more like I I have higher uh, how to say it, the percentage of uh, selling my wine there that way uh, because of the concept. Right. Okay. So um, it's amazing. You have a list of uh, where you can drink at uh, you know restaurants um, of your wine, and then it's quite an achievement, right? Because it's Napa Sonoma. It's just the home of all those amazing wine and. Uh, like you said, it's much competition going on. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very impressive. I, I haven't tasted wine yet, to be honest, but it must be really good. So one day, I, I hope to visit your <laughs> new wine. I'll send it to you. Yes. Oh, you, you please come. Yes. <laughs> Great. So, yeah. And uh, so what is your plans and dreams for the future besides your uh, upcoming opening of your own winery? Yes, um, I like to focus on uh, my, my new winery uh, for the couple of years, maybe first couple of years. But um, I have a dream of expanding this, this style of like the wine, uh, urban wineries uh, to different like cities. Maybe like the New York, if I can do that, that would be so awesome. Or maybe like a Tokyo, um, uh, if I can bring this idea of urban winery for Noria. Um, and if I can open that in Tokyo, that would be great too. Um, and then also um, one day... Um, um, sometime near soon, um, I like to own a vineyard as well. Even though I, I just mentioned uh, earlier that um, it's, it's it's fun to purchase the grapes from uh, the great growers, but it's it's also at the same time it's really nice to have the flagship vineyard of my own vineyard and then make wine uh, from there as well. Mm, right, there's a lot coming up. So yeah, good luck. 
Thank you. <laughs> right. So, and、um, where can we find your updates online and on social media? If our listeners wants to know. Yeah. So the, my website、uh, Noria NoriaWines.com, and then also the Facebook and the Instagram. Great. All right. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nori. And、uh, again, good luck on the new <laughs> opening as well as everything you just said. So you're amazing. Thank you. Right. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at heritagevideonetwork.org or akikuatayama.com. Japaneeds is a weekly program and it's always available at heritagevideonetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Armin Spenjan and we'll take a spring break for the next few weeks. So, we'll see you in May. Thank you for listening. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.